Hello there, and welcome to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? Today, we have an exciting episode to dive into because Drew and I have finally finished the 12th book of the acclaimed Dresden Files, Changes. And judging by some of our Discord chat with the extended family lately, Drew, I have a feeling that this is, uh, well... This, in mine and many others' opinion, most exciting book of the series, it's also going to make for an exciting episode, I feel. So, um, I, I think we're going to disagree on a few things, so let's get right into it. Drew, give us our weekly recap. Alright. The second half of Changes spends little time messing around. Harry is taken to St. Mary's, paralyzed from the waist down, and begins exploring his options. He first summons Uriel, who will not help him because he must uphold humanity's free will. Next up is Mab, however, and the Winter Queen is prepared to bargain with Harry. He strikes a deal, granting him the use of his legs once again, as well as the time to handle events at hand. And in return, he accepts the mantle of the Winter Knight. Mab performs a ritual with him, and Harry finds himself back in his real body, fully functioning. He has almost no time to settle before an assassin walks in, however, and shoots Butters, Harry incapacitates the shooter, and Butters reveals he was wearing a bulletproof vest. After a brief interrogation, the assassin tells Harry that Susan hired him, and Harry heads off with Sonia and Murphy to track her down. With the help of Toot Toot, they find out Susan is in the FBI building. Once there, they again run into Tilly and Rudolph. Rudolph threatens them, but Red Court vampires under, under the direction of the Ebes attack. Harry and crew hurry to evacuate the building and misdirect the vampires from innocence, before opening a risky gateway into the Never Never. They find themselves in the court of the Earl King, who sets up a duel to the death between the Ebes and Harry. Harry and Susan fight against a lackey vampire and the Ick, quickly defeating them, and are granted leave to go. Leah shows up to help them travel faster, and they assemble their attack crew for the raid on Chichen Itza. Their plan quickly goes awry, however, and Harry is forced to accept an escort up the pyramid to face the Red King himself. He bargains for a chance to duel Ariana. With the assembled Red Court and their armies watching, Harry kills Ariana, but is immediately betrayed by the Red King. Chaos erupts, and the Grey Council shows up to help with super-powered backup, including Odin himself. After a massive, pitched battle, the dust settles. Harry has killed Susan and rescued Maggie, the Red Court is completely wiped out by the Bloodline Curse, and Harry discovers that Ebenezer is his grandfather. Lastly, Harry returns to Chicago, where he sends Maggie off to safety. Thomas gives him the keys to the Water Beetle, and as Harry starts to settle into his new home, he's suddenly shot and falls, dying, into Lake Michigan. <laughs> okay, so let's just go straight into the style, obviously, as we typically do. I'm very excited to hear your impressions, Drew. I will give you the floor first freely. Let's hear what you think of the second half of changes, style-wise. So, speaking purely about the second half of changes, and purely in writing style... Um, I think this is paced pretty well. I think we have a, a, a strong climactic buildup and uh, final battle sequence. I think, um, I think this is 
it feels like something Jim Butcher has wanted to do for a while as yes. he's transitioned this series into more of a full-blown epic fantasy rather than just, you know, a detective, hard-boiled detective urban fantasy. Um, you know, he's he got to really trot out the big guns and show us just what all of these crazy, powerful magic users can do. And, and you know, th- this was paced almost like a, uh, a Brandon Sanderson book where you kind of hit the halfway point maybe a little more than halfway, 55 60%, and then it's just action for the rest of the book. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I loved it. I mean, I loved it. I loved the entire book. Uh, like, it was hands down the best book of the series. It felt so much bigger, so much more explosive, so much more final. I can just imagine what it would have been like, and I'm going to return to this later. No, 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 screw it. I'll, I'll return to it now. Um, I should say, I'll explain it now. Could you imagine what it would have been like, put yourself here, Drew, reading this book in this series without the future books in the series having been out yet? Like, this is the most recent one. This would feel so climactic. This would feel so momentous. And having, like, having the, the knowledge now, you and I, Drew, that the next book is called Ghost Story, right? After Harry has died at the end here, we have a bit of context that they would not have had as a reader back when this book was originally released. I'm just trying to put myself in the timeline as a reader when this book was released, and it is blowing my mind in that context. So I, I loved it. Every, every bit of this book. I don't think I have any complaints about this book. Wow. No complaints. Well, hold on. No, no, sorry. Any <laughs> complaints about the quality of this book? There are characters that I'm going to be, have been, and will continue to gnash my teeth about. Mm-hmm. So... Sorry, I probably yeah, I probably made a few people laugh saying something like that. You know, I'm gonna have complaints, but I, overall, yeah. <laughs> this book is incredible. I think. So, I I have a hard time grasping exactly how I feel about this book. Um, on a purely technical level, I think it is a a solid book. It's, it's competently written, it's paced, uh, you know, it's breakneck paced, it is packed full of action, it definitely has some of the, the most spectacular action sequences in the series, but, <laughs> but. Uh, but this book just didn't land for me, uh, let's, let's this book that. was let's, a let's... huge letdown. Okay. Uh, and I, I'm going to get more into that when we get to characters. But in terms of just the writing style of it, what it comes down to is that Jim Butcher set out to do a few specific things in Changes. And I think, for the most part, he accomplished those things. Unfortunately, those things are not what I care about while I was reading through this series. There, you know, I've been vocal about this pretty much from the start. Uh, that there are some things that just don't work for me. And this book really felt like all of those things were rearing their heads at the same time. And, uh, and so while I could get some, like, popcorn-eating entertainment out of, you know, reading some of these huge fight scenes and, you know, magic everywhere thrown around and... 
Uh, so I'm not going to say it's like a bad book. It's not a bad book. But it's a book I did not enjoy reading. Wow. Uh, it. This is... You know, we've read 12 books now. This is in the probably lower third of my favorite books in the series mm. thus far. Well... <laughs> oh, and I know, I I know I'm going to have hordes of people coming after me. I lost what uh, I was going to say there. Um, as, as far as, this, as the series as a whole goes, I am what, what really got it for me, what really brought it to another level for me, was how many series-changing events we have happening in this book in rapid succession. Harry has a daughter. That is huge for the series. Harry uh, breaks his, his spine and he loses his ability to walk. That is huge in its implications, especially when you're reading it in the moment. And then Harry eventually, to get out of that, signs on with his contract with Mab to be the Winter Knight. That is huge. That is also series changing. And then Harry dies. Also huge series changing. We have all these giant, giant things packed in such a small volume that for me it was brought to a, another order of magnitude entirely in terms of scope and in terms of what the future might hold for this series. Um, I... I I haven't heard this same kind of hype about the rest of the books going forward, so I'm a little bit, I don't know, disappointed by that. But this, I mean, this book, again, if I had been reading this book as it came out, it would have been one of the most mind-blowing things I think I'd read up to that point. I mean, I just, ah, I, I loved it. I loved it. And it, again, for me, it was about the, the series-changing things that really shocked me, you know. You had so mentioned... Uh, previously, sorry, in our Discord, that the point at which Harry says, I can't feel my legs, didn't land for you. Correct. For me, that was like an oh my god moment. That was perhaps the biggest oh my god moment I had in this series. Including when Susan said to him, they have our daughter. So Yeah, like, so I we're talked so in, on in the first Changes episode about how... It, not necessarily the pacing of the book of the plot, but the pacing of scenes uh, made it hard for me to really engage with some of these big, mind-blowing moments, you know, for you. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in the second half, he did a better job of pacing the scene transitions. Uh, it wasn't as jarring as it was in the first half. There were a couple of points where I was, like, it was still just like, like, what, what the heck? Like, like, the, the whole, like, mood and, and events of a scene just change, like, I immediately, and there's no transition, and it, and it like, well, pulls me out. But, but overall, in the second half, it was much stronger in terms of transitions. However, the, the foundational reason why these things really aren't sticking with me is, you know, I want to bring you back to your list that you just spelled out. You're like, you know, there are so many massive series-changing events. And you listed off four or five things. Every single one of those items started with the word Harry. Yeah. And I have never connected with or really cared about Harry Dresden as the main character. The strongest elements of this series for me have been the principal side characters. Molly. Michael, Thomas, you know, right, but Harry as to a an vehicle. extent, charity. Um, but and so when when there are these huge emotional impact moments, uh, 
happening to a character that I don't care about, I'm just I just kind of shrug. No, like it, you know, people people in our Discord were were hounding me to record my reaction to the end of this book. Oh, really? And I did that. I, I was oh, like, all right, right you know, right. You know I'll, right. I'll, right. uh, I'll fire up the video. I, I was, I don't know, I was maybe like 10 or 15 pages left. I was like, all right, I'll fire it up. And I recorded myself reading it. And I, I did post it in our Discord, but I'm like, I'm sure it was the lamest reaction video because like I, it was just me kind of sitting in my chair and I got to the end. I was just like, huh. Oh, man. I also have to say like, I love the fact that you and I each have reaction videos now, and they are polar opposites of one another as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, it's funny because the one you did, the, the Stormlight Archive one, I had, when I read that particular scene, I had a very similar reaction. It, it yeah. wasn't as exuberant, but it was it was 100% like a, you know, my jaw kind of hit the table like, <gasps> and then I read this, and I was just like, huh. And so that's that's where the, the the fundamental flaw in this series isn't a fundamental flaw in in Jim Butcher's writing because clearly there are many 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 readers out there who do connect with Harry Dresden and love Harry and and think he's a fantastic character. I mean we I've seen you know uh, Twitter polls and Reddit polls and and you know all sorts of conversations about like the best characters in fantasy and harry dresden gets brought up all the time and i'm over yeah. here i'm just like i could not care less about harry dresden here's here's <laughs> the thing though i i don't particularly connect with harry dresden either i think i've been pretty open about that for the entire series i think i've been agreeing with you on that front for the entire series as well what shocked me was not my emotional connection or my investment in him as a person what it is is my investment in everyone around him and Harry as a vehicle for protecting them and carrying this story forward. That's what I mean by... I should, I should have elaborated. That's what I meant by series-changing things. For Car- for Harry. For Harry, again, I don't really particularly care. I think I'm a lot like you are. Maybe I care a little more about Harry than you do. But for me, it was just because Harry's back is broken. How is he going to protect people? Harry has a child. How is this going to affect his ability to protect people, you know. Well, oh, so that, that right there says you're invested in Harry as a character. No, no, because I'm you're invested, invested in, in those him around him protector. being like Harry as a vehicle. No, no, no. no, no. That's but, but here's the Harry point: vehicle, is not so much one of Harry's principal character traits is that he's a protector, and you're here arguing about how much you care about him being able to protect the people around him. Yeah, you care about him as a character. That, I but, don't give a shit. <laughs> like no, all, all I don't care about is, any of like, the relationships there. Like Harry's all I really care about is not factoring into my emotional like, attachment with Harry. I don't again. I don't really have that emotional investment in Harry. I have the investment. But you just explained him. you did. No, because have, you were worried no, that he wouldn't be able to protect the people around him. His anymore. ability to do that, not in him himself. But that's an inherent part of his character. No. Yes, it is. Okay, sorry. Sorry, for him it is, but th- <laughs> you're right, you're right. I will take back that last note. No, you, for him it absolutely is, but it's it, it's not involved with my reasoning for this. It's a, it's totally aside. I was just like, oh my god, the vi- like this the vehicle for the plot and for the protection of those I'm actually caring, caring about is threatened now. How is this going to affect the series? And then he becomes the Winter Knight, and it's like, oh, now that means big things for his ability to carry this forward. But about him as a character, I don't like him. 
I like what he does. It's like you're trying like to him. completely separate a huge aspect of his character from him and then saying, well, I don't care about him as a character, even though I care about this huge defining character trait. <laughs> like, I don't understand it's not this. character <laughs> trait. Yes, it is. No, so, how, sorry, how is... it's not the character trait <laughs> aspect of that I like that I'm talking about. Oh. We'll see what people think in the Discord. Standard yeah, family. It, it, Let it's, us know. But, like, it, to me... The things that I care about in this series are, will Molly sort herself out? How much will Michael's mercy impact the people around him? Will Thomas grapple with his inner demons? I don't, like, the, the only real, like, character relationship with Harry that I'm invested in is his relationship with Molly. Uh, and... And that's another thing when we get into character. I mean, maybe maybe we're into character fully at this point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it, that was another thing I deeply disliked about this book is that you know, I've been on the record multiple times all throughout the series that the times that I like Harry the most are when he's in a father role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how the this like father daughter master apprentice relationship with Molly is like one of the most compelling things in the series. And this, all this book did was say, don't be an idiot. They're going to fuck. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> like, I, and, and, and that just pissed me off. I, I talked, I want to say I talked maybe on full moon. It was a long time ago. I, I compared how I felt between Susan and between Murphy because I had, I had liked what Susan was, but I didn't like who Susan was, and I remember saying I liked who mm-hmm. Karen Murphy mm-hmm. was, but mm-hmm. not, you know, I, I had this, I, I vaguely remember that that diatribe I had. Yeah, I, I do recall that as well. I want to extend that, sorry, extend that to Harry here, if I can give that some more context about why I was so shocked. I was, I'm invested in what Harry is, not who he is. Does that make a little more sense? Sure. And okay. that's why I, I was still profoundly impacted by these scenes in a way that I feel you weren't because I'm still like I recognize like oh crap this is how all these things that I actually care about are going to be protected <laughs> I don't know we'll see what everybody else thinks but yeah like I, and, we're in and the we're, fundamental we're Harry difference a character here right we're straight in character at this point yes yeah, yeah yeah okay and the fundamental difference between you and me on on this point with Harry is that if we weren't covering this for the podcast I would have no desire to read on Mm. And yeah, and there and and after nearly every single book in the series, I felt the exact same way. Where like if we weren't doing it for inking out loud, I would not have read on. Ah, yeah, no, I I, ha, I I'm polar opposite of that. I would I mean, I would be having trouble doing the inking out loud episodes while trying to fit these in because I would absolutely be reading these if I had. Of course, you know what? I yeah. obviously would never have discovered them. I don't think I would have been venturing out as much if not for inking out loud. I probably never would have discovered yeah, yeah, yeah. this series. But, oh yeah, no, I mean, nothing is stopping me from continuing on with this series. An a, a, a extinction level event is not stopping me from finishing the collection <laughs> files at this point. Yeah, so I mean, I'm going to finish reading them. I, yeah, yeah. I'm, I've committed to this. I'm going <laughs> to yeah, read but... them. And, and Thinking even aside, though you and my, my feelings things. about like my investment in the series, yeah, I've made this clear, but that's not going to stop me from still like engaging with these books on, on a craft level. Like, look, I'm, I'm a writer. This podcast is about being writers analyzing books. 
I'm I'm not gonna stop doing that because I don't like the main character and I'm not invested in where he's going. I'm still gonna dig into, you know, the the way Jim Butcher crafts a story. Okay. Like, I, I, w- I want you to remember that, though, next time I, uh, I suggest Sword of Truth series. Oh, fuck. <laughs> well, we are, we are absolutely not doing that whole series. We may, may, may do Wizard's First Rule at some point. I may have to do it as but a But we are absolutely not doing that whole series. <laughs> I should have, like, a slight, like, instead of, you know how Netflix has, like, series drama or, or sorry just like spin-off dramas that stand on their own for a season i should do something like that with thinking aloud for uh, sort of truth. sort of truth i do want to cover it and i will have a lot of the same complaints everybody else has but i do want to point out the good things that are in there there are some there are some hard as it is to believe believe me it is hard to believe but they are there anyway back to dresden uh yeah so we're in harry so we're yeah. still on harry yep um yep yep so yeah the Okay, how do I put this? Harry was... Like, this book was so focused on Harry to the exclusion of almost all of his relationships that it was frustrating. Uh, and and you notice, like, when I talk about the only times I'm, like, interested in Harry is in relation to these other people around him. And I listed off a bunch of characters. And one very conspicuously absent character... From that list of people I like and am and am invested in, is the one character whose relationship is explored with Harry in this book, and that's Susan. Yeah. Thank goodness she's dead. I could not stand her <gasps> basically Ding from dong. the time she showed up in the series, all the way till the end. Um, just just a colossally frustrating character. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agreed. I this is again. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna come hard together here and agree one hundred and fifteen percent precisely. Um, and I will say that this gave me gave me reason to appreciate something else though. But you're absolutely right. At first, I was infuriated with Harry's decision to give Susan fucking Rodriguez. Sorry for that censor, Broski, but I needed to express that. I cursed more than you have this episode. Don't selfish, worry about it. idiotic, <laughs> arrogant, suicidal maniac. The sword of the bleeping cross that is Emorakius. I was like, Harry Blackstone Copperfield Dresden, don't you let that snake bitch's hands profane that blade. But then I considered, okay, you know the name of the blade, Amorakius. Amor- oh, okay, okay. Much as we gnash our teeth, Drew, over this disgrace of a character. I don't have I trouble believing. I still have an issue with that. I don't have trouble believing that she desperately loves her daughter. That's be- that there. That is besides well, the reasons I yeah. hate her. If she can wield the blade of love because of her love for her daughter, then the lore surrounding that blade is still sound, and I think both Susan and the lore benefit from it. So positive vibes there, but I hate Susan Rodriguez. I hate her so much. I I said last episode I was hoping she would die, and she would at least try redeeming herself if that was if that had happened, and that I could be certain Harry would never end up with her again. So I'm glad. I, I mean, I still hate her, obviously, but she went out as she should have. I will give her that. I'm glad I don't have to read her anymore. Yeah. She's terrible. She's a terrible person. But um <sighs> even then like I still take issue thematically with the choice to give her Amarakius. Okay. Because as a symbol, 
the character of Susan Rodriguez with that throughout this series has not been the symbol of love, like romantic love. She has been the symbol of eroticism. To Harry, but to it's Harry. her love for her daughter, not Correct. for Harry. No, no, I'm, I'm not saying that it doesn't make sense in, like, that she's able to wield the sword. I'm saying that thematically, when we're, we're looking at the series in terms of symbols, Susan is not a symbol of love. She's a symbol of eroticism. Okay. And that yeah. sword is a symbol of love. And in, in terms of the, the like, faith-based magic system, very centered around Catholicism, like, that, that in and of itself just doesn't jive. Combining a, a symbol of erotic passion and a symbol of pure love. And, and that bothered me as well. I, yeah, like, I can't. Like, that was, that was an instance of, I think, Butcher kind of writing himself into a corner and explaining himself out of it, but getting his thematic wires crossed. What? Just because she has been erotic? She, like, I, I she's... No, she, it's she, not that because she's been erotic at one point. Everything she means to Harry in this series is erotic animal lust. I think that's a bit of an over-exaggeration. Not is too it? much. Is it? <laughs> it's a little extreme, I think. I mean, you're very you're right in a in a huge. If there's part, a character who symbolizes that kind of pure romantic love for Harry, love it's Murphy. Her, he does love her because the vampire magic doesn't work when when uh, he's bitten, right? Or licked. What? Whatever. No. It absolutely works on it. What are you talking about? <laughs> Hold on. Wasn't there? A he point absolutely at which a gets vampire... drugged when she kisses him. There's there there was no no stipulation about him actually loving her or her actually loving him that that changed some magic at least some point in the series. I could have no. There was. That's why he. That's like the whole point of why they had to have the BDSM sex scene was because like she can't touch him because if she does she's gonna like take him over and then and then she kisses him in this book and has to get pulled off of him because it it intoxicates him. It's part of the thing that infuriated me about Harry was the fact that he somehow genuinely loved this woman. So. If I don't he actually think he did. If, if I don't it turns he out did. he never actually quite did, I will be a little. I feel a little better about Harry, but I still, I still think that I'm not bothered by Susan. As soon as I considered the context of Susan doing this for her daughter and giving her life for her daughter, I was like, okay, I'm okay with it. But on principle, I was immediately infuriated. I did not dive into it as deeply as you did. Maybe, did yeah, maybe I, I didn't explain this well. I don't have a problem in oh, in did. terms of the character. Like moment, yeah. Of, no, was... Yeah, yeah. It's it's the symbolic, thematic, yeah, things. Maybe this is me just like being way too literary. With I think a you're series painting that Susan is, with an extreme, is, uh, extreme brush. Is mostly popcorn series. I can't believe I'm defending. Um, Why am I defending Susan? But, Why am I doing that? But but I I have to think about it this way because as the series has gone on, Butcher has very clearly started trying to be more literary in the way he's constructing this, these books, this series. Uh, he is bringing in all kinds of symbolism. He's bringing in all kinds of, you know, mythology and building this world in a specific way. And then, and then it felt like, it, it just really felt like things got a little out of his control while mm. writing this book, where mm. he got too focused on the spectacle and, and lost sight of some of the meticulous groundwork he'd laid earlier. Um, I, I I don't know. Would I, you have preferred that there was another character that would have fit that better? Like Charity, perhaps? 
Yeah, Charity would have worked. That would have landed. I mean, honestly, I think Murphy would would have worked better. Oh, Fidelakios' faith, though the sort of faith that also fits with Murphy, doesn't it? So, again, like it fits with Murphy's character, but it doesn't fit with Murphy as a symbol. Sure. Okay. Murphy, like, like I'm talking about symbols in relation to Harry. Because this conversation's over my head at this point. Yeah, I may have to. Admit, <laughs> I may have to admit that. So, so when we when we look at Harry Dresden, right, as as a character, and and you know we talk about his relationships, and we do this a lot. But this is a mythological level series, and you get to a point where there are archetypes, and Harry throughout the series has been interacting with the characters around him in very thematic ways, and. Murphy, if if we're if we're focusing on this idea of love, right? Okay. And and there there's the Greek there, in the Greek definition of love, there are different kinds of love. There's you know, uh, there's the erotic love. There's filial love. There's brotherly love. There's uh, platonic love. You know, and I think many of the characters around him embody those different things. Where Michael is is that kind of family love, where where he's he's adopted into the Carpenter family in, in a way. Thomas, of course, is the brotherly love. Susan is Michael. the erotic love. Okay, gotcha. Um, you know, like in and as we're going around the circle, Murphy is the one character who fits this kind of pure romantic love. And that in in my mind is kind of what the sword Amarakius symbolizes. And so okay. having having those two symbols not come together in this climactic moment was weird to me. Okay. Where I where it felt think... like Butcher started focusing on on a different thing than I wanted him to. Right. Okay. I so I believe you talked slightly, you touched lightly upon this at one point during our Wheel of Time episodes when you were talking about, and I, I don't think we'll need to censor these names because this is this is vague enough, but you, you mentioned... Are you thinking of the Tripartite Goddess? The Tripartite Goddess, and with yeah. Min, Avienda, and Elaine. Okay. Yeah. Alright, so this is the same kind of symbolism that you're talking about in, in their relation to the protagonist. Right, and, and I'm not going to say that there's a Tripartite Goddess situation going on. No, in, no, no, but that same series, kind of symbolism in what yes, they represent. exactly. Got you, got yeah. you. I'm a, I'm a little closer to that there. I, I'm starting to get a concept of what you're talking about. I still think that Susan can be more flexible as a symbol, but I see what you're saying. If you had, if you had right, if you were reading this whole thing and, and, and assigning, you know, or at least a large part of your investment, Susan mm-hmm. as a character and how you interpret her in context with this symbol, then I can see how that would be really shocking that you, yeah. Okay. Yes. See, for yeah. me, it was an inf- just a, a, a knee-jerk reaction, like, this bitch, you're gonna, she does not deserve that. <laughs> Do not profane this blade. But you were you were far, far layers deeper academically and intellectually yeah, I mean, than I was. <laughs> and, and this may be something that Jim Butcher did not intend to write into his series, and it sure. was an accident. I, I kind of am assuming that he did intentionally write these these character relationships to be that level of like mythological archetype um, just because of the mythological scale of the series as a whole as it's gone on yeah uh, okay. you know so I, I may be I may be making unwarranted assumptions here it's very possible 
but I think if if I'm not making an unwarranted assumption, if I am correct in this, it it really feels like Butcher hit a point in this book where he's like he just kind of had to shunt aside all of that to make his crazy bombastic spectacle climax happen. Got you. Yeah, I'm rewinding the conversation in my in my head. I'm rewinding about 15, 20 minutes to the point where I exclaimed indignantly, but she loves her daughter. She's not, you know, okay, yeah, okay. I was so focusing narrowly on your argument that I wasn't seeing uh-huh. the bigger picture. I will apologize for that. Okay. No, no, you explain I mean, that succinctly. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. Nicely. Oh, I don't know about succinctly. So Sorry, uh, distinctly. Minutes, but... <laughs> succinctly is another matter. Distinctly. I'm not uh, I'm not always succinct. <laughs> <laughs> and without reservation. All right. Um, let's see yeah. here. We're we're still kind of loosely on Harry. Like, aren't we? We are. We are. Um, and it's hard to get off of Harry. Like, look, it's hmm. easier Molly in other books to talk more directly <laughs> about other characters, but everything in this book was so informed by Harry. Yeah. You know. Like, <laughs> yeah, I can see when all of it is, is is revolving around something that you don't personally, you're not that attached to. I can see how it'd be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what I think it is. How much do you think it? I'm not gonna say you know what I think it is. I will actually just ask you the question outright. How much of it do you think it was? The 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 amount that it had been hyped for you by everyone waiting for us to go in there. Do you think the amount of hype had anything to do with your expectations? Uh, it did. Sorry, with your a expectations of the outcome. Um, yep. it, it wasn't. It wasn't a huge amount because, uh, because I'd already read eleven books in the series. And You've been I a part knew... of a few fandoms. You know how people can, yeah, and run away and with... I'd already had a lot of experience in the series, and I kind of knew more or less how I felt about the series. Mm-hmm. So when somebody's like, "Changes, oh my gosh, this is amazing! It's the best book ever." I'm I'm taking that in the context of okay, this person is a mega Dresden Files fan. I am not. If it's their like favorite book ever, cool. Maybe it'll be my favorite book in the series, but that's not gonna say like it's gonna become my favorite book ever. Right, right. I do think there was a letdown, um, just relatively speaking, in inside the series. Uh, the quality of the books, I thought, leading up to changes, was dramatically increased over the first, like, you know, f- six books. And then it was, like, from seven through eleven, it was a more or less linear growth in quality for me. And then I'm getting to this book where I'm like, okay, I've heard this is the best book in the series. Well, I really loved... Turncoat and Small Favor. So if this book's even better than those two, cool. Especially because a lot of those things, or a lot of those people who are telling me Changes is the best one, were also telling me, you know, Proven Guilty, Deadbeat, Small Favor, you know, like Turncoat, like that those were also, you know, better. So I'm like, reading through this, things I was hearing from the fandom lined up more or less with my experience. And then this is a big outlier. <laughs> okay. Okay. Interesting. I can't wait to hear what everyone has to say about this. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I've, I have no doubt. I have no doubt we're going to 
set off all kinds of, of reactions. <laughs> um, I, and look, there may be some people out there who agree with me. Uh, that that changes. I'm sure there are land in their wheelhouse as readers. I'm also um, sure that you you may have changed some people's minds, or at least given them second thoughts. Well, like you have given me second thoughts a few times in this episode already. But a big part of it is that this is the reason it's not landing for me is so subjective and personal. It's not like oh Jim Butcher just like wrote a really poorly paced story, or or wote something with tons of plot holes, or the characters are. Are totally or the pros different is now. Or, or okay. um, the only like character thing that I can really complain about, I talked about with Thomas, where I, I felt like it didn't quite jive with the end of Turncoat to the to the way he acts in this book. Sure, sure. Um, but he was such a minor character in this book that it like <laughs> it just gets lost in the mix. Right. Um, I don't know. So so it's it's tough to say like oh yeah I'm gonna change somebody's mind with these arguments. It's like no I'm. It, that's that's not the point. It's it's. Uh, I know that's not the point. You're yeah. just a naturally articulate person, and you're you know you're a convincing <laughs> guy, Drew. You're a convincing guy. We'll see how articulate I am by the end of this episode as I work my way through this bottle. Of oh beer, God, he's like, he's uh, been teasing me about this one too, saying how excited he is for this particular oh, final beer on this boy. Oh, yeah. thirteen point nine. <laughs> so oh, it's a hefty boy. Let me see the size of it. You don't have to show me the. Oh, I see. You've already been going through it. Got you. Got you. Yeah. 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 Um, let's see here. Uh, since we're still loosely out of the out of the weeds, out of the woods, I should say, not out of the weeds of style. I will say I'm not a fan of the whole wise old mentor turn mentor mentor turns out to be the protagonist grandfather trope that popped up again in book twelve. <sighs> of course, I was like, what? why? Why did we need that? Did we really need this? Yeah, I I kind of didn't like that either. Like, I don't have strong feelings about it. I don't. But it was strong a little like either. like Ebenezer was better, just like kind of as. As himself, I feel like. I can't speak today. Uh, Ebenezer was better as himself. Yeah. Rather than, like, having yeah. to be he, Harry's grandfather. For me, he was he was far better as the random, wise old mentor who just took it upon himself because he saw something in Harry, you know? Right, right. Like, he was so much better than... Uh, changing his motivations for saving Harry was like, oh, like, well, that, that makes him convenient? less interesting. How this vampire Harry meets turns out to be his brother, and this guy who is his mentor later turns out to be his grandfather. Harry's an orphan, yet suddenly his blood family members are just popping up everywhere like mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's an exaggeration. There's been two of them that I know of. But. And, no, sorry. Oh, I, he's got oh. a daughter, so that's three. But. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah, so it turns out that's actually his daughter. I was. I mean, again, like, I was coming out of episode one saying. I, yeah. I thought that she wouldn't be, and turn looks like she is going to be. But yeah, no, one hundred percent, it's his daughter. Yeah, I, that was interesting. Like I, I never doubted it for a second, and I'm not sure why. Um, <laughs> did I did I make a good case for the first minute of my argument in that episode before I went? Oh, but damn it, it seems like everyone's certain. You know, <laughs> no, you you did actually. Like you, you had me like starting to second guess myself. The spell didn't just work. Why did the like, spell work? When he was trying well, to locate there, her. There are reasons given. <laughs> Are there? Did I miss them? I probably missed them. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's like a handful of reasons. Oh, that, it like, probably the, has to do with the amount of power around Chichen. The tracking spell can fail. Like if there's defensive wards. Or, oh, you yeah, mean like all the reasons that he puts forward that okay, yes, it could be yeah, this, yeah. it could be that. But those, those felt so, so con- like uh, convoluted to me that I was like, come on. Or the extremely <laughs> let's let's once in a while bring up Occam, okay, and say maybe Harry, maybe. But no, no, no. Okay, I was just. 
I was so preemptively loaded on that gun, you know? <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk about... Okay, so we, 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 already, we already talked about Susan, too. Um, Murphy calling Rudolph a mosquito-dicked weasel. Dude. Oh. Awesome. Murphy in general. Like, I... I I know there's everyone's probably expecting me to talk a lot about Murphy here in the character, but again, I just I may have to save a lot of my Murphy for the favorite scenes. So, yeah, well, well, I do want to talk a little bit about Murphy. Go for it. Take yeah, take the floor. Uh, while we're on the subject of symbols, Murphy is now a mother symbol. <laughs> what do you mean for 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 Maggie? For Maggie, but I didn't she, get the impression that Murphy was going to hey, adopt her. No, not not that I'm saying she is, but that Harry entrusts Maggie's care. He trusts his daughter's care to Murphy to take care of. I don't get that. That is at all out of that. Harry's the father. No, I get okay, <laughs> right? And and we've already been been through these like surrogate father relationships established with Harry throughout the series. Would it not make sense for Harry to not be able to be the true father for his actual daughter, but the one he trusts the most to take over a surrogate mother role? And I'm just going to say this also. I absolutely do not believe that Maggie is like going to just like go off and disappear in hiding. Oh, hell She's going to be around all no. the freaking time. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> no, I just... Yeah... Like, I, I fully expect Murphy to become a mother figure to this girl because Harry has entrusted Maggie oh, to Murphy's I care. don't see Murphy being a mother figure at all or wanting to be one. Mm. I think she's, she's far too... Like, for me, I think she's far too dedicated in her beliefs and protecting people. And, like, her daughter would represent such a vulnerability and, and take, like, so much of her attention away from trying to save the world. I, I just... I don't see it. I this could again. This is just subjective. Too, too, I'm not trying to. This is one hundred percent. Too involved in, in her beliefs in protecting people. What's what's like the defining trait of motherhood? Okay, that's a good point. Mm. That is a good point. A little mama bear. Everybody. Okay. All right. Okay. I could totally see Bur Murphy being a, a little mama bear, and she oh. would be furious at me for using. Oh, the word Murphy little. as a mama bear would be the most adorable. <laughs> terrifying thing I've ever And she'd be seen. furious at you for using the word adorable as well. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I would let... I mean, come on. She could... But yeah, no, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to finish that sentence, actually. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to play it safe yeah. this episode for once. Um, yeah, um, I'm... I'm I'm pushing the the. I'm the one who's cursing over here. And, yes, and I gotta remember that. A lot of people are, are depending on me to, to to shout you down here. I'm sorry, everybody. I've been really caving on Drew, haven't I? I've been a little too easy on him. All right, sorry. This is gonna get some pushback. Maybe on Molly. Maybe we're gonna push back on Molly. See, I don't have much to say about Molly, which which is a bummer because yeah, I yeah, love I Molly. Have, yeah. She's my favorite character in the series. In the series? Yeah. Oh, that's okay. Interesting. I mean, it was cool that she got to, like, take that step, that that big step to finally go to war with Harry. But I'm, I'm also just really pissed off about the, the telegraphed future of their relationship. Uh, because I think it is really f***ed up to have um, any sort of romantic 
uh, involvement between Harry and Molly, and it it there seems is. like Butcher is trying to just turn on right. neon signs all over it saying, "Suck it up, this is gonna happen." I don't think we mean gonna happen. Harry's been very adamant that it's never going to. I don't yeah, think it's but gonna happen. every single conversation he had about it in this book was women telling him, "Stop being an idiot. You're blind." Like. Like it was, it was all framed in the sense of like Harry's just unaware, and you need to accept the reality. I was like, very surprised to hear Susan tell him that, like, to embrace it or something like that. I was like, "Whoa, hold on a second. That made me seriously double think my thoughts as redundant <laughs> as that phrase is about Susan." I was like, "Okay," but I still don't get the sense that it's it's telegraphed that it's gonna happen. I just feel like it's Butcher playing with the audience and like teasing I, us. I really, really wish I'm wrong on this one, but I I, I, I don't also trust hope you're it. wrong on this one too. I mean, I'm not gonna be like too fucked up about it if it turns out to be right. I mean, whatever. But yeah, especially uh, that I know power Harry's dynamic is her. so messed up. I just found out like two episodes ago, maybe last episode, that Harry's like ten years younger than I thought he was. So it doesn't disgust me as I was originally prepared for it too. But you're right. I, I just don't. See, I'm not bothered by it. I just don't see it happening. I don't see it happening. And if it happens, I don't think I'll be as bothered by it as you are. Yeah, I, the the power dynamic there is, is just I'm too so invested in Murphy, up, and so is like... Harry. I don't think Butcher could do that. It's, I think it's more like a just a. Just I, a I have, um, I have very little faith in Jim Butcher not doing something weird with sex in the Dresden Files. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say whether I agree with that or not. Uh, but no, I agree with that. I'll say it. I agree with that. I can see your point there. But I just. I don't know. I don't see it happening. I, yeah. I don't see it. I actually forget what I was going to say there, but mm, must have not been too important. I will say, though, I'm worried at the end of this book that Molly, now that Harry is presumably dead, as the next book is called Ghost Story, that's going to be interesting, um, the, the senior council is going to want her dead. So she's going to be a fugitive. She's going to be on the run. And I'm just hoping that she's not with Thomas when we find her again. Wait, say that again? Molly. She she's gonna be on oh. the run now. Wait, what? What do you mean? Wait, did what? I, did I miss something? Yeah. Am I if, forgetting something? Any, if she doesn't have a mentor anymore, like the White Council, oh, the White Council, the Senior oh, Council's agreement oh, 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 to let oh, Harry. Oh. To yeah, sorry. I I don't know if if you've read on into Ghost Story and you're just bringing in future knowledge. I finished this book and and I was like, Harry did not die. No, I'm assuming Harry died, because the next one is called Ghost Story. I, I do not think Harry actually died at the end of this book. You don't think he died? No, because he there were so many indicators in that final scene where he like falls into Lake Michigan, and he's like, he saw something right before he fell in, and then there's like this horn sounding, this train is coming that he thinks. I'm oh, you like, think that was like magic? No, I, I think like somebody's like rolling up in a boat, and they're going to rescue him. Oh. <laughs> no, I think that, I'm just, I'm, I, I said this at the very beginning of the episode. Maybe I should have, uh, I don't know, explained it better. I said, yeah, the next book is called Ghost Story. So, like, having the context, knowing that it's going to go forward in the future, I assume he's dead. It's going to be from, like, the afterlife. Huh. It's going to be like a I ghost of not, Christmas past kind of thing. I think I think that title I is going uh, to have a double meaning, and it's not actually, like, That'd be cool a story it, about Harry if it was being like, a, uh, a ghost. 
If it was like, um, not deadbeat, damn it, grave peril, then we thought it was going to be zombies. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. I hope I'm right about that one, but. No, yeah, I, I have not started Ghost Story yet. I, In fact, I just bought it today, even though I finished changes last week. Yeah, I have the audiobook. I bought it like a week or two weeks ago, but I have yet to start it. Yeah. Um, but that's, like, we're still on Molly. I just want to say, I hope she's not, like, she's going to be on the run. So I hope she's not with Thomas when we find her again. I want Thomas to have Mouse with him. That would be cool. Thomas and Mouse. But Molly, I'm just Was kind it of... Mouse with Maggie? Didn't Harry send Mouse with Maggie? Oh, did oh did he? Yeah, that, that makes yeah. more sense, doesn't it? Oh, shit. Okay, never mind. All right. Well, maybe he'll be with Thomas mm. somehow. I don't know. But you're right. I actually like the idea of Mouse being with Maggie. That's a, that's a really big teddy bear. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. Um... <laughs> Yeah, two hundred and fifty pound dog, fifty pounds of supernaturally powered Teddy. Anyway, uh, yeah. Um, so Mouse talked, but it did, he didn't really talk, right? Yes, yeah. I knew I, you were I, bring that I up. laughed my ass off when it happened because I was thinking about when I had said when is when is he going to talk, and then here he is talking, but it's not really talking because they're yeah. all transformed. I was like, oh damn it! I actually, People... I have like issues with that scene. Me too, um, but mine are stupid. Uh, I have word choice issues with that scene. Oh, no! Continue um, then. So the, it's like two paragraphs in a row. We could hear small prey animals scattering before us and to either side, and I knew, not just suspected, but knew that I was faster by far than any of the merely mortal animals, even the young buck deer who went soaring away from us. And then the next paragraph. And the best part, we probably made less noise as a whole than any one of us would have made moving in a clumsy, mortal body. They got turned into dogs. They didn't get turned immortal. <laughs> he uses the word mortal multiple times. It's like, that's not what mortal means. Hmm, mortal maybe he doesn't meant immortal mean, dogs like, and just phrased it poorly. Yeah. Like, I don't like, know. That's what you're right. That is a, beard, a bit of an odd choice yeah, of wording, I, isn't it? And it was twice in two paragraphs where I was like, if you just got turned immortal, then, like, why are you not using this to, like, just attack the friggin' pyramid where where you're invulnerable because you're in some like I yeah like I understand in in the writer process like in, in that headspace where it's like I need to indicate somehow that we are more than natural yeah I'd say benign but mortal's the there. wrong word to use yeah like, <laughs> mundane would have been a better one there yeah mundane that 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 have been a much better choice. Screw benign. That's a terrible word. Why did I say that? Um, yeah. Okay, I get you. Um, let's see here, Tom. I had beer. one point about Thomas that I forgot. <laughs> um, Thomas just a lot of laughs in this book. I mentioned last episode that his fight with the creature in in, in the first half of this book at Rudolph's house, house, house with the ick, the ick. It was really entertaining, especially the the Bruce Lee hi in the distance and the sound of that club shattering. It's mm-hmm. it's funny. Mm-hmm. And now we have this this scene in the final fight where. He's dancing to Molly's rave, and he's screaming, I love a good party, as he, you know, fills his part there. Thomas is just awesome. I did, and I fully want to, the reason I bring this up is because I realize I bitched about the implications of his particular brand of magic last episode extensively. And I took issue with what I thought was a boring metaphor he used at the end as well. But I still want to say, Thomas himself is a joy to read, constantly. I'm glad to hear that. Like, you didn't love him. Through I, mean, the early yeah. and I was a little confused also by 
Harry's immediate investment in this guy as his brother and that immediate, desperate, almost emotional connection he had with him that developed, I think, between the ends of book four and and five and four, five and six. But I I think Mm. it might have been you too, Drew, that that explained to me. But Harry's like an orphan, you know, a a familial connection is something he's been lacking his whole life. And so he's not going to react to it in the same way as a lot of other people would. And it made more sense to me. And so I've been I've slowly been coming around to appreciate Thomas just in his quirks and his funniness and what the flavor he adds to the scenes. I'm not really still invested in him as a character, but he's just very fun to have around. Again, with Thomas, it's a what, not a who, but it's still enjoyable. Okay. Yeah, I, I like Thomas as a, as a character. Um, cool. I mean, although I, I feel like I've kind of already said my piece about him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I wanted book. to return here before because I just found this last um, point, but yeah. But yeah. Uh, uh, other characters? Actually, I, I do want to just point out, uh, you mentioned in passing Molly's rave. Yeah. I thought that yeah. was a very clever bit of writing by Butcher uh, to, like, tie back magic use to the character's, like, personality. Yes. Um, yes. I, I, I did enjoy that quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll be talking about this later. Believe me. Okay. Believe me. Yeah. Um. The only other two characters I had written down and actually didn't think of anything to say about were Maggie and Martin. Either one of those two. Well, Maggie's not a character. Maggie's a. Yeah, but oh, sorry, I should say the implications of, of Maggie. You're right. That, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Martin. Anything? Martin was slash Boromir. Was that too obvious? Like, I don't think so. That kind because of felt some flat people for are me. like me and just don't see anything coming. Sometimes. Like that felt super flat to me, where it's like you you get you get the sudden twist and then another sudden twist in the space of like three paragraphs. Oh, oh, oh! No, 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 no. Okay, no, I agree with that one hundred percent. I thought you were asking. Okay, got you, got you, got you. Yeah, I thought you were asking about Martin's role as Boromir being foreshadowed. Yeah, well, well, that that ties into it. Right, right. But the, for, for, you're right. What, what, like, I did not at all see him turning around, so I didn't. But, but so they did that. Sorry, I'm gonna. I can't speak here. Yeah. So so like we have this whole scene about about yeah the how each of them are getting assigned roles in the Fellowship of the Ring, Mm -hmm. and Martin is given Boromir, and so it's like well, obviously he is going to be he's going to succumb to like whatever temptation, and that for him is his half vampire nature. And then he is in turn going to sacrifice himself to save the people around him. I'll explain that revelation from my point of view. It was, okay, so he's Boromir. Oh, he's going to die then. Oh, that sucks. Poor him. And then he turns around on them. And I'm like, no, why is that surprising me? And then he dies and I go, okay, no, I am dumb. Never mind. Yeah. (laughs) It was a very, very self-aware moment of, oh, wow. How I am. I was really disappointed in myself on that one. Yeah. Um, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> Let's just jump into miscellaneous. Want to go go into impressions? There's not really any other characters in particular. Yeah, I got a few miscellaneous points. Let's, can, yeah, let's do go it. there. Start us off, man. Um, sorry to talk about the the mortal thing. Oh, I did like uh, the continuity. Nearly the moment Harry comes back to himself after accepting the role of Winter Knight. Like, everything he does for the rest of the book is make bargains. 
everything he does is bargaining. Yeah, okay, yeah. Like, he, he, even though he doesn't, like, have to officially take over the role, he's being influenced by that fey nature, where he has to do bargains. He has to make deals. Oh, wow. I did, Dude, you just blew my mind, I think. Yeah. Like, everything he that does, and it, it starts with, um, it's, he wakes up, the assassin walks in, and he's interrogating the assassin, and... And he's like, you know, uh, trying to get information out of him. And the guy's like, you know, no, like that's that's not good. You're like, you know, I, I gotta honor my my job, whatever. And then, um, and he thinks about. It, he's like, nah. And he's like, no. He made a motion that might have been a shrug. Did that for you? I might never work again. People get nervous when a contractor divulges personal information about their clients. I gotta think long term. I nodded. I can respect that. Honoring a bargain and all. And then he makes a deal with the guy and lets him go. Sticks to his bargain. And yeah. then they go and find Susan. And they go through the portal to the Never Never and he immediately makes a bargain with the Arrow King. And then they leave that and, and he makes a bargain with Leah. And then they go to the Chichen Itza and he makes a bargain with, with the Red King. You know, like It's bargain after bargain after bargain after bargain. For the rest of the book. As soon as he becomes the Winter Knight. Wow. You just blew my mind. That's awesome. I'm so glad that you actually brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally missed that. That was a, a mile over my head, that one. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, uh, so you made a comment earlier that I kind of chuckled on where, where you were talking about, like, mushrooms. And it just reminded me of Glenn oh. Cook because he has his, you know, we yeah, talked yeah, about okay. this, you know, the... yeah. We're like mushrooms thing. Well, in the second half of this book, we have what I have zero doubt is another Glenn Cook inspiration. The very beginning of chapter 41. The first leg of the trip was simple. A walk down a forest trail next to a backward flowing river until we reached a menier. That's a large, upright standing stone to those of you without a pressing need to find out what a menier is. Yep. Yep. Uh-huh. It was good stuff. <laughs> It was very yep. good stuff. It was very good stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a, little more, a little more Glenn Cook creeping into the Dresden Files. Listen, Glenn Cook creeping in anywhere is always a good thing. I agree. <laughs> yes. yes, 100%. Uh, you have any miscellaneous points? Oh, I've got... Oh, boy, do I ever. Um, <laughs> okay, so, so these are actually both about Mab. Um, the first one is a quote that I really appreciated. Bottom line, I could get the tiger to show up once it was there. All I had was a really good chalk drawing of a pit on the sidewalk and nice kitty. You know, I love that line. It's just so quintessential Dresden. But this is a question I had. Mab knows his name, his full name, all four of them. I didn't think their knowledge or power stretched that far. Yeah, I did wonder about that as well. Like, I had assumed that would be how Harry signs this proverbial contract, is that he gives her his last name. But she just speaks it as they're making the agreement, which kind of shocked me. I didn't seem to shock Harry, though, so I assume this is just something that yeah. I should have picked up on earlier. I feel like the the whole name thing has just been this Chekhov's gun. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought I heard a... And we just haven't nope. learned enough about how all of this works. Like, I definitely looked askance... At that moment, but I was like, "Well, I I don't know enough to 
engage with this. <laughs> yeah. I'm just gonna move on. I thought I just missed something, so I was gonna ask if you had, if you could yeah. clarify that for me, since you tend to uh, if, retain if, a little more than I do. If there was something you missed, then I missed it too. Okay, cool. <laughs> Maybe hey, if you're listening to this and you know the answer, that and of course it obviously has nothing to do with anything we're going to learn in you know the future books. Let us know. Um, Mr. James Butcher. I'm not going to call him Jim here. I'm going to call him James because he disappointed me. Why would you make me think that Waldo Butters got fatally shot? You jerk. I literally gasped when that happened. Do you know how long it's been since I've gasped at a book? I was like, Butters, no! But he's fine. He just got, you know, Butcher pulled the fast one on us, which is like, oh, dude. what? Damn. Huh. I was worried for Butters. You Were you not worried for Butters? Are you not invested in Butters? Not really. Oh. I'm a, I'm a Butters <laughs> fan. Butters anyway. is fine. I think, you, I think you just pissed off more people with that one comment than anything else you've said. <laughs> <laughs> no, um... Okay. Now, look, look, we've been signaled throughout the series. The polka is never going to die. Polka is never going to die. In fact, we should <laughs> we should eventually play this off on a polka tune, to, you know, going out eventually in the future. If if no. Butters has like a heroic moment, we should just play out the Inking Out Loud podcast with some polka to show that it never mm. dies. Yeah, we'll see. But um, moving on to my next miscellaneous <laughs> point here, uh, before I pass the floor off to you here. Um, I love this moment where Molly has the events going forward sort of summed up for her. And you know, everything that's going on in this book, and she just goes blatantly like, well, that sounds like the plot of a cheesy novel. You know, I like that. I like that Butcher can still, you know, make fun of himself. Well, 12 books into a breaking. series that's so successful, and he can still just, you know, be self-aware. and Not self-aware, because that like, kind of sounds like I'm calling it a cheesy novel. But to make fun of himself, to take those self-shots, entertaining. <sighs> Go on. Next one. Next miscellaneous. I've still got like four. Uh, let's see here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is... These are all over these books. Um, uh, Jim Butcher is a very referential writer. He loves bringing in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's more um, overt than others. But one that made me chuckle in specific... The howl of sorcerous energies filled the temple with a symphony of destruction. <laughs> yeah. I missed that one. I'm laughing because I'm just hearing that one for the first time. I must have totally missed that. That's awesome. For those who are not into heavy metal, uh, come on, the band Megadeth has a band. The band Megadeth has a song called "Symphony of Destruction." Mm. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, cool. I, I think I only have. One more miscellaneous point, and it's it's I think a lore inconsistency. Um, when he opens the waygate, or uh, waygate, <laughs> wrong <laughs> series. I didn't even notice. What does that say about me too? That I didn't even notice. What the? F- yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the line is: I tore open the next way a little desperately, and water rushed out, th- rushed out through it as if thrilled to escape. Um, having the environment on the other side in the Never Never interact through the portal is a big inconsistency with the series before this. Because there are multiple points where he's, like, worried about, I don't know what's on the other side. I might step through into, like, 
boiling lava or or into the bottom of an ocean or into some noxious gas. And the whole yeah. point is like the the portal is just this like grayed out like he he doesn't know what's there. And then this point. one yeah. time it's like oh no. Yeah, the all the water is going to pour through. For me that like, yeah, there's an inconsistency there for me too in that I was thinking about how the the never never in distances, you know, you can walk from from Edinburgh to Chicago in, in, I don't know how long it was, just a few minutes, right? 30 but, minutes, yeah. 30 minutes, but then how is the land supposed to somewhat mirror it in the Never Never if distances are fractioned like that? It just makes no sense to me. Like, yeah. Oh, well, I, I don't know if it's necessarily that the distances are different. Uh, they may be. There may be, like, warping of space, uh, but there's definitely warping of time because that is a plot point in this. Where yeah, they okay, spend yeah. all that time in the Arrow King's Hall, and then they come out, and it's like way later than they thought, and that so they have to have Leah show up with her like psychedelic limo, right, right, <laughs> the the night yeah. bus. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, um, but yeah. So so it may just be like time distortion, but it may be space distortion as well. My next miscellaneous point is the most quintessential miscellaneous. It's the whole reason I brought, I even invented the miscellaneous category for the podcast in the in the next place. Check this out. Oh, really? Shaving a haircut, two bits. We need to talk about this, and you need to tell me, Drew. You need, I need you to tell me here that you're not you're not also just finding out that this knock actually has a name, because or sorry that you are just finding this out as well because if I find out that this is actually a thing and that everybody knows about this and I've just been the one that has no clue the entire time I'm going to freak out the da, 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 yep. da. yeah were you aware before this that that actually had a name yeah really oh god yeah oh no oh no <laughs> <laughs> okay, anybody else that's listening, you need to get a hold of me and let me know. Comment on this wherever you see it, on whatever platform you choose to consume. Um, whether or not you were aware of this being... Uh, this knock, I mean, the, Here it is, here it is. There are... If, that, if you knew that had a name, and I'm just the one that the odd one out that didn't know that, I'm going to be uh, freaking out. I know there are other names for it. Are I, don't, there? I don't think... Yeah. And I don't remember what they are, but shaving a haircut two bits is the one that I've I've always known. That's amazing to me. I've never, never even imagined that that had a name, let alone it has multiple <laughs> names. It's just amazing to me. But see, that right there, if you were to do boil it and distill that, that's the miscellaneous points that I that I love just bringing in for this exact category. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea that was a thing. Nice. Um, so, more of Mouse to talk about in this one. Um, he's okay. got a particularly interesting interaction with the Linanshi. Um Anything you want to speculate on? Because she claims he shouldn't be so strong, this far from his source of power. But he claims that his source of power is Dresden? There's a lot of interesting stuff to dive into. And I imagine if if Drew and I were competent enough or had or well rehearsed, rehearsed in this series enough to actually, you know, have a lore segment, this would be the kind of stuff we're bringing up. I just want to see, toss this ball at you and see if there's anything you want to make of it. Um, No. Uh, okay. Like you said, I I just I don't think there's enough lore we've been given to right. Yeah, I mean I didn't know, but maybe you had retained more than I had and could make a connection I hadn't. I just wanted to see if that was possible because I you find things I don't all the time, my friend. I I don't think I've okay. picked up on anything else. Okay. Uh, okay. That that scene was like, oh, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. 
Gotcha. Cool. Nice. Thumbs up. Way to go, yeah. mouse. <laughs> All right. Actually, you know what? I'm going to save that last one because I'm going to just going to move that into one of my favorite scenes. So I'm I'm just um, I just have a sing as far as miscellaneous goes. I have a single prediction to make. Okay. And I have the quote here. I have a quote here that this is from when Harry makes his bargain to be to take up the mantle of Winter Knight with Mab. Before my service begins, you restore my body to health, that you grant me enough time to rescue my daughter and take her to safety and strength and knowledge enough to succeed. And you give me your word that you will never command me to lift my hand against those I love. So, I predict that the specific wording here is going to be a big pivotal deal down the road. How broad, just how broad is the term, those I love? What if he can love mankind? How nebulous do these spells get? I almost wish I could ask Butcher for, like, the first lore question, I suppose, that I would ever actually have for him. How much does someone's intent at the time of the agreement or the spell casting carries over into the future effects? If that wouldn't work, could he then find a way, as much as, you know, it might sicken him, to change himself, to make himself love everyone equally, just find a magical way to do it? How many people can Harry Dresden love? I don't know. Maybe this just saves him in the future when she's seeking to make him do just that, makes him raise his hand against someone that he loves, knowingly or unknowingly, either way. I just, I, I want to predict that the wording of this particular agreement here is going to be a major deal, maybe even at a critical time later in the series. That tracks. Okay. I mean, with how much weight all of these fey deals have been given in the series thus far, like, yeah, that, that definitely tracks. Cool. cool. <laughs> My only other prediction was something that way that we already gotten out of the way. The fact that the next book is called Ghost Story, and so this is going to be a very much Ghost of Christmas Past kind of thing. I think, not like time traveling, but just observing events. Hmm. You think? It's going to be Harry as a ghost observing events around. Well, Harry has a, no. Harry's like journey to come back to life, kind of a la. I'm not going to say that name actually. Okay. I almost spoiled something. Sorry. Yeah. No. But his his like. Oh journey no. Okay. To, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 His journey back to the land of the living, for lack of a better term. Hmm. Hmm. So. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm still just not sold that Harry actually dies at the end of changes. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably gonna. I, I mean, you know, I'm probably gonna eat my words gonna be in a big fat pie but i'm ready to go okay. into favorite scenes all right favorite scenes so i'm not doing five favorite scenes no I do not have five favorite scenes in this <laughs> I, I brought that up as soon as we started here i was like wait a second drew uh did you remember that we had five favorite scenes because i'm just now remembering myself i had to think of two more as we were going but i got my five my five not a big deal if you don't it kind of tracks with the fact that you weren't particularly um impressed with this book in relation to the others so yeah yeah yeah. okay so i'll just get my first two out of the way then and then we'll go into yeah actually if you want to start yeah yeah, okay let's let's do it you do five and four and then i'll start with three and then we can ultimate good sounds good all right so my fifth sonya versus toot toot was endearing on both accounts you know also i've got to give a nod to my man sonya you know you tap that ass. And it was, how do you say, fat? <laughs> Sonia, Harry says. I just, I loved that interaction. It's just, Sonia is, is, is just a gem. Although I imagine, I wasn't sure how you would take it. Let's hear it. I mean, so Sonia is... I don't dislike Sonia. 
I don't love him. Um, I don't. I don't have that like. You didn't cackle in Glee for that line. No. Oh wow. I totally That's did. Not my sense of humor. Yeah, that is one hundred percent my sense of like just the she like, like the fact I, that it's coming it's from so somebody weird. so intimidating and and almost legendary. It's just in the mundan the mundanity of that language. Mundanity. Thank you. God damn, I'm mispronouncing my words left and right here. Yes. Uh, mon- dang it. Now, now you have me questioning mon- mundanity, 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 mundanity. mundanity? <laughs> Crap. <laughs> Let's look it up. We have to stop right now and look it this up. Is, right? This is what happens when I'm like three quarters into a yeah, it's mundanity. bomber of mundanity. 100% mundanity. Mundanity. Yeah. M-U-N-D-A-N-I-T-Y. Yeah. <laughs> fact down. Um, We're going to call it the fact down segment. Uh, but the, this is something I've been... Ever since our last episode where I talked about how I I need to figure out my sense of humor on like a technical <laughs> level on a writing okay. level well, that's the thing about like, humor you i can't really break it down need to, to be figure too out why there are certain things that are more or less in the same type of humor that land for me and don't land for me because i feel like if i can figure this out i'll become a better writer i'll be able to start using humor deliberately in my own writing that uh, you know where i i currently cannot I'm really bad at writing humor. Um, I don't think so. I don't. I don't recall any jokes that I groaned about reading uh, a manuscript of yours. Well, that's the point. I don't write jokes. Okay. Because I'm bad at them. <laughs> there are a couple moments that I chuckled, but I don't suppose they're meant to be jokes in terms of just how uh, gleeful I was at them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It will. Well, and and I think that also comes across where it's like a lot of the time, but not all the time. Uh, when an author is deliberately writing jokes, I don't find it funny. Yeah, It's when it comes across naturally, when it comes across in the flow, and and I don't just mean like the flow of the scene where it, like, it makes sense for a character to crack a joke. I mean like... Actually, I don't know what I mean. I'm this is what to, I need to friggin' figure out. Yeah. See if I can see if I can break down the algebraic equation, uh, equation of this joke here for you. For me, it is the fact that this is a very immature humor, which you can like or dislike. I do like that, and but I my liking this dislike. joke is not because of its immaturity. It's because this it's an immature comment coming in a very contemporary comment coming from someone like Sanya, who is this giant. Le- almost, like not almost outright legendary figure, and he's still bringing himself into the new verbatim, and and still cracking this man to man joke. It's just, see, uh, but but he's a young kid. Like he grew up young? in this day and age. Sonya, he's young. Is he? He's like in his twenties. I thought he was right? like Harry's age at least. Oh, I thought he was like I Michael's. Did not age. get that impression. I thought Harry calls him a kid. Oh, again, another detail that I must have just completely gone in one year and not the other i am listening again to the audiobook although i keep using that as a as an excuse it is a poor one but yeah i thought sonya was like i got the impression again that he was like 39 something like that hmm oh huh. all right i'm, I'm trying Which to look him up and part see if also any again i just brought age. up the audiobook it's the fact that james marsters does a killer russian accent that i absolutely cannot mimic it was how they say faith it's just oh it's so good it's just 
that line coming out of Sonya's mouth. And notice, I'm actually calling him Sonya this time instead of Sonya. Um, yeah, it's just I love that. We're still on my fifth favorite scene. I'm taking. I'm selfishly so taking. Sonya so became my... a Knight of the Cross at 21. Wow. Oh wow. See, it was Ramirez that I was thinking. Oh yeah, the young one. That's really impressive. Oh, but the, but it doesn't say anything else about his age. What does it? Are I you reading that? Because you might be reading a spoiler if you're not careful. Careful. I'm not overly concerned. But no. Oh, uh, damn. Ooh. Uh, you are but walking no, I, minefield, my friend. None of this is spoiler from what I've read so far. That's yeah. actually kind of the nice thing. We're, we're like nearly done with the Dresden Files now. You know, <laughs> we're well over halfway through I'm the published I want to bring books. this up as a point. You had, you had talked about, uh, you had mentioned the Earl King a couple times, and you had pronounced it slightly differently than I do. You said, like, Earl King. And I oh, went, yeah, oh, Errol God, King. is this another one of those things... Like last book, when I had said uh, Engine Joe, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm just mis- completely mishearing the audiobook. Do they say Earl King in the audiobook? Or Errol King? Say Earl King. Earl King. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. I, I don't know. So <laughs> I looked it up while you were... The reason I'm bringing this up now is because we're talking about potential accidentally spoiling things for ourselves. Because I looked up the Earl King while you were saying that to make sure I was spelling... Oh, sorry. My alarm is going off for tomorrow's Wheel of Time episode. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but I looked it up like, was I misspelling it this whole time? And while I was looking it up here on the episode on my phone, I went, wait a second. Oh, I might spoil something for myself. And I looked away from it. I was, really, uh, yeah. I was really concerned I might accidentally spoil something for myself. Oh, so. yeah. Um, that's why I brought it up there. I realized that was a very roundabout way. We're still on my... Let's get yeah, tracking that's, ahead. All right, next favorite seed for you. Yeah. Number Meeting four. Meeting the CEO of Monac Industry Securities. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Mother... Odin is Monarch Securities. Monarch Securities? Monarch. M-O-N-O-C, I believe. Oh, Monarch. Oh, okay. All right, cool, cool, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, I've just... That was... Ah. Oh, it was so good. In fact... I had gone into this episode assuming that we were going to do three favorite yeah. scenes again. Yeah, so uh, was... Monarch, Monocular, One Eye. Good. Oh, my God. I'm so disappointed with myself again. <laughs> we're going to have to have like a, a, a sound to play every time Rob goes, oh, I'm disappointed with myself. <laughs> oh, God. We need, we need a soundboard on this podcast. But yeah. Um... be choked. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I was disappointed going to this because I thought we had three favorite scenes to do and I was going to have to knock this one out. And I was like, oh, but this is so good. But then we were like, Ugh. oh, that's right. Five favorite scenes. I was, mm, I can include this. So, Ooh. yeah. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead with your third favorite. If you could, if you uh, have the ability still. Uh, Harry's verbal sparring with the Earl King. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's my third favorite too. Everything about the Earl King. Oh, nice. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah you yeah. take Look. it and I'll... Backpack on it. Uh, it. It was that was the moment where it solidified my miscellaneous point. Where I was like, "Is like everything Harry does now just going to be a bargain?" Like, <laughs> and then and there was like, "Yep, this, this is a bargain." Like, and and uh, and it was also nice to see like Harry for once kind of like get the upper hand in a in a duel of words with the Fae. Because um, most of his interactions with the Fae, you know, they're like. Mab and and uh, Maeve and Leah and you know, like making so many just, bargains. I'm going to call him Wall Street. Oh, sorry, that yeah, was like, um, but we get Harry interacting with a Fae here, who's more like Harry himself, a little more straightforward, uh, like a little more blunt, and so it was 
it was nice to see like an actual conversation go down rather than Harry just like giving up you know a little bit into it and and being like all right well you you're going to talk circles around me you know like yeah i i liked that scene yeah. and i also i also liked the ambiance of it i the the imagery of the hall you know the the green glow and and the the dimness and then just this sea of goblins armed to the teeth and yeah Oh yeah, no. This, yeah, it was this, good stuff. I don't know if it was like Mar. Again, I was just talking about the audiobook. Marsters, James Marsters, the audiobook narrator. He made the Earl King sound so badass um, in in Deadbeat. But holy crap, he's is it's another level entirely in this one. And let the record show about the the Earl King here. With him, I would not. Fuck. He just radiates <laughs> calm, confident, absolute power of everything over everything that happens. I you know. Might have a man crush on this guy. I don't even know. But I've got two quotes here from the Earl King. Sooth, boy, you are quick enough at wordplay that I would fain feed thee and send thee on thy way had you come here unpursued. But I would not rouse the wrath of the lords of Outer Night lightly. The war with them would be a waste of dozens of excellent hunting moons. That's chapter 36. The way in which he treats the magnitude of that issue... It would just be a waste of our time. It's just, if this was a film, I would be the extra in the background that you cut to in that moment. The guy whose eyes just open wide and he looks down like, okay, then, <laughs> wow. And it, in the next chapter, after the duel, Harry asks him, well, what about the Red King, the Lords of Outer Night? His red eyes gleamed. His Majesty's folk failed to prove their peaceful intentions. The trial established their deception to the satisfaction of law and custom. Let him howl his fury if he so wills it. Should he begin a war over this matter, all of Fre Freire, all of Fairy will turn upon him in outrage, and his people will make fine hunting. <laughs> and the echoing chuckles, this official soundtrack of hell through that exact scene of goblin or sea of goblins. Chapter thirty-seven was just ah, Chef's kiss. I loved that scene. It was so good. And so uh, that first quote you had, I I should have brought this up in miscellaneous, uh, but I forgot it. I forgot to highlight it, oh. and uh, uh, but he he uses the word sooth. Yes, sooth boy. Um, and that just immediately reminded me of Hashi Levwall. Yeah, forsooth. Oh, forsooth. Okay, there it is. Yeah. I was wondering where the hell you're going with that. Yeah, like yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's uh, so good. It's so good. Um, okay, uh, second favorite scene. Go ahead, dude. Uh, my second favorite is one you've already gone over. It was Harry oh. meeting Odin. Ah, damn. Uh, yeah, we, we talked about it last episode. I, I One of those uh, select moments where the humor did land for me. Um, you know, Harry, like, cracking wise in the elevator with the, the like, Valkyrie twins training guns on them. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then just the, the gradual realization... Throughout that scene, where it's like, "Oh dang, he's meeting like Big Daddy Norse God here." Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Big Daddy Odin. Oh god. Yep. <laughs> that was a good one, um, for sure. That's yeah. That's why I brought it up in number four. Monarch Securities. God damn, man. What am I doing? Anyway, my second favorite, <laughs> Chapter Forty Two. 
there's this moment between Leah, uh, sorry, I should say Lenanchi and Molly. Her illusion, Molly's illusion of all three swords of the cross, the sheer epic and beauty of righteous beauty of that image. And then when Leah even compliments Molly, you know, damn, that was a good one. And then Molly's yeah. response was so endearing. It's, she goes, well, you know, I just watched my dad a few times. How mm-hmm. much that says about Molly's youth and impressionability and also how much it says about just how much of a monumental badass Michael is. It's awesome. This whole moment is awesome, and it gave me chills. Nice. Nice. So, it's my second favorite. Your favorite, my guy. My favorite scene is Harry's first conversation with Agent Tilly. What? You like Tilly that much? Tilly's awesome. Tilly's and awesome. There's, there's something in this your scene. Your favorite scene in Changes is talking to Tilly? Yeah, it's there's something in the scene where we get this crossover from the okay. the mundane world in Tilly, who my impression in this uh, is that he is magically talented but isn't aware of it. Like he he knows that he can like tell when people are lying, but he doesn't know he's using magic. Ah, yes. Um. And so, we, we have this crossover from the mundane to the supernatural, and, and this frank honesty. Uh, a, a great change in expectation, the first time we see Harry, you know, involved with FBI agents, they're antagonists, you know, uh, in Full Moon. And then this scene is set up in such a way that you're like, Harry's just been arrested. This guy is is like being manipulated by Rudolph, who's a tremendous <laughs> dickosaurus. Dickosaurus. And, uh, and, and so you have these expectations of what Tilly is going to be like. And then hmm. he is just a nice person. And I loved the verbal... Back and forth. Wow. I mean, uh, I loved it too, yeah. You know, some of these lines, they say so much uh, in so little. Great economy of words. You know, mm. I have a great deal of respect for Karen Murphy. I called her while you were resting. She says she'll back you without reservation. Considering the source, that is a significant statement. I was, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and... And then my favorite bit of it is when they're they're ending. You know, I got up and walked wearily toward the door. Hey, Tilly said, just before I opened it. Off the record, who did it? I stopped, looked at him again, and said, Vampires. His expression flickered with swiftly banished emotions, amusement, then realization, followed by doubt and yards and yards of rationalization. See, I said to him, I told you that you wouldn't believe me. And that's how the chapter ends. I loved that. I loved that. Yeah, I was expecting that to be the moment that Tilly uh, really turned that around on him, too, because I was listening to the audiobook. I wasn't aware that that was the end of the chapter until, it, you know, chapter eight. But, um,. Yeah, no, I will say that I pulled out my phone in this moment to talk about how much I love Tilly. And in this moment, I was realizing this book is 
incredible. I just, I had so many extra scenes. Like, this would have been probably, like, my seventh or eighth. I still love Tilly, and I, I cannot wait for more Tilly. But, yeah, um, he better friggin' come back. Oh, God, hell yes. Like this, I, I mean, this, is, this is my problem with the series. Like, I'm so <laughs> much more interested in the characters around Harry than I am about Harry. Like, how cool would it be to read a series about this FBI agent who has magical talent but has no idea he does ah, and like then Harry. finds like himself in the middle I'm, of, I'm, like, a friggin' vampire war and, like, ah. Oh, I'm like, too much into Harry's one-liners. I can't get away from those. <laughs> Uh, not Harry, but his one-liners. I'm too much into those. Uh, anyway, <laughs> your favorite. Your favorite. Uh, Susan dying. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm totally nah. kidding. <laughs> Relax, everybody. Relax. I'm joking. Um, you know, I was really hoping when I got to this point that I was going to be able to say, the scene where Mouse is shot, and he's in so much pain, and he's terrified, and he trusts Harry and company, and he's so much, and he lies down for the operation, <laughs> and he just shows them how much that he, he just... But then Butcher decided to be a dick and make it all about an act, so that Mouse is teaching Molly a lesson, I guess. So, uh, so I, because of that, I'm going to give a wide answer and a specific answer. The wide answer is the entire battle in chapters 46, 47, everyone having their individual part to play. I especially liked, and we. I said I was going to bring this up later, and I am here, Molly's personal flavor of mayhem with the one-girl rave, and Thomas totally embracing it and roaring, I love a good party, and just dancing while swinging about himself with his falcata. There's this moment where Butcher is flying us through the entirety of the battle, hero by hero by hero by hero, and this one cinematic sort of sweep. We have Mouse plugging the holes, Sonya and Murphy doing the heavy lifting, Bob protecting her. This whole scene here made me nostalgic for the Avengers. And then I thought forward from the last time we talked about the timeline of these novel releases. And I thought, huh, changes would have come out around the time that the Avengers movie came out, wouldn't it? And I wondered, maybe there was a little bit of inspiration between that. And I looked it up, or between, I should say, on Butcher's part. I looked it up, nope, two years before the Avengers this book came out. I was like, yes, Butcher did not need to get inspiration from that shot. He is badass enough on his own, and that feels good. Now, yeah. nice. my specific answer, though, I'm going to put this under a microscope and focus on one particular moment that was the, the shining moment of, so far, the series, The Dresden Files, for me. And, that, and to the surprise of absolutely wow. no one, Murphy did what no mortal man should have been able to do. She cut a path through the mob of warrior vampires. She went through them as if they had been no more than a cloud of smoke. Fidelacius blazed, and no weapon raised against the sword of faith. Neither modern steel nor holy relic could withstand its edge. I had originally written down Molly's, not Molly's, Murphy's speech as it began, when she was condemning the leaders of the Red Court, but it seems she's a little concerned about some sort of pseudo-possession at this moment in time, but fighting and kicking vampire ass with the sword of faith? That, to me, is classic Murphy. So classic Murphy that it made me feel better all over again. It makes me feel like, even if she is being influenced by some external forces here with her with, with her wielding of Fidelacius, her own goals and her own talent can still align with that, if need be. And so, again, the, the lore of these Swords of the Cross, these moments, and this with Karen Murphy... This, this this avenging angel finally show, like manifesting in the real world is just I can't even explain. I can't explain how much I love that. Not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> to the surprise of absolutely no one, I imagine, yes. But yeah. 
So that's it. That's everything I have to say about changes too. I can't believe it. I want I want to talk about this book for another five hours, but we could do well, that in this Discord. This is already going to be the longest Dresden episode we've done, and yeah, is it? we didn't even have no. any guests on it. I think our longest okay. was a, a like maybe a shade over an hour forty. Yeah, we still well, we're at an hour thirty-one now. We still have the final draft to get through, but I don't imagine it'll take too long. Oh yeah, yeah, that's fair. Maybe maybe it won't be, but yeah, but with no guests. <laughs> yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> and only on half the book. Oh, that's true. Hey, that's very true. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, I hope we well, deliver yeah. for changes. Yeah, uh, there there were definitely some fireworks this episode. As give this book a rating. Fireworks in the book. I'll give you out of a let you out of a hundred, so that you can be a little more accurate and precise with it. Out of a hundred, what's your rating? Not compared to the rest of the series, just as a as a book. <sighs> mm, that's tough. Seventy-two. <laughs> okay, all right. That's higher than I thought you'd give it. I'm giving her a solid ninety-two. I think this is like on par with a lot of Sanderson's work for me in terms of how much I like it. Okay. Okay. This is awesome. I won't say all the books in the series. Man, they're not been on not that many level. Sanderson books. I would give a ninety-two. What's that? You went there? Not, not many Sanderson books. Yeah, Come on, dude. Ninety-two is real high. Words of Radiance, <laughs> Oathbringer, really. Yeah, I, I would probably give those in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Okay. all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But uh, there are a lot of Sanderson books. You're right. There are Not many Sanderson. of them are as good as Words of Radiance and Oathbringer. That's true. I, I did reach for the top shelf on those ones, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, all right, all right, all right. Let's get into the final draft, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so I'll get mine out of the way. Once again, I was drinking coffee, but it's not the actual drink itself that I want to focus on for today. For once, I'm going to be sharing a picture of my brew. I just got to take it here. I'm actually sitting in the dark. But um, I have here a mug that my sister bought me for my birthday. I have turned 30, by the way. And my sister knows that I am a huge... Oh, look at that. You can see the coffee stains on it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. (laughs) Those drips? No, no, no. It's just stains. Um, But this is here, a mug. It's a... it's a piece, I should, I suppose. So there's a, there's a damn name for it. it. Starts with an M. But this here is basically a piece about my favorite show. This is Friends. This is Central Perk on a yeah. mug right here. It's a giant mug, as well. I'm a huge fan of Friends. Uh, Friends is a is a sitcom, is a series that I could sit down and listen to and go line for line for line for line. What's going to happen? Ooh. And it's probably been 15 years since I watched it. So. My sister knows I'm a huge fan. She got me this this mug. It's giant. It's like a, I measured it. It's twenty ounces. It's huge. Holy cow! For a mug, <laughs> it's giant. I'm gonna I'm gonna share a picture of it too once I get these disgusting coffee dribbles off of the side of it. But I was drinking a regular Keurig coffee out of my new favorite mug. And a shout out to my sister Nikki. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, very nice. Memorabilia. Is that the word I was looking for? It starts with an M. Sure. Yeah. 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 Okay. My piece from my favorite show. God, I have so not been articulate on this particular episode. <laughs> anyway, continue, my friend. I apologize, everybody. All right. Oh, you need a screenshot for this, don't you? We're both going to have pictures for this. Well, I am drinking a Good. bourbon barrel-aged imperial stout from Weldworks Brewing Company. Weldworks. <clears throat> this is... Uh, Heavily adjuncted. It's got all kinds of 
of uh, delicious things added to it. What does that mean, adjuncted? Is that what that means? Uh, so, basically, ingredients added above and beyond the standard, you know, like... Recipe for... Hops, malt, you know, water, like... Okay. Uh, uh, this particular beer. Oh man, <laughs> I, mean, I I need to I need to describe it without spoiling what it is though. Oh god, okay. Um, conditioned on chocolate, vanilla beans, cinnamon sticks, and raw, unprocessed pilon piloncillo piloncillo. Panela sugar. So it's ambrosia that you're drinking. Um, this beer is, uh, I, I have to admit, it's fairly old. Um, nearly, in fact, I think it's it's just a hair over two years old at this point. Okay. Um, uh, the first time I tried this, it was super cinnamon. Uh, but the cinnamon has mellowed out a lot, and now there's a lot of lot of sweet vanilla and chocolate coming through. Um, nice oakiness from the barrel. Uh, but this is a beer that I'm pretty sure, or a the base beer I've brought on before, but this particular variant I have not. And this has layers, just as the beer has layers. Okay. Uh, what time, Rob? What time did the ritual happen in Mexico? It was aligning with a solstice, wasn't it? It was midnight. It was midnight, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Hold on. Medianoche. 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 Oh, okay. Medianoche. Which is midnight in Spanish. Midnight in Spanish. Got you. See, I'm a and French guy. on top of that, this, this particular variant is Medianoche de los Muertos. Of the dead? It is... Uh, midnight of all, the dead? The death, all, death, death, death at midnight? So it's, it's inspired by the Day of the Dead, the Mexican right. holiday. Right. And all of those ingredients, uh, the sweet chocolate is Ibarra Mexican sweet chocolate. The vanilla beans are from Veracruz, Mexico. And the raw sugar is also from Mexico. Nice. Very nice. Um, Hold on. So you want me to take a screenshot of that? Hold it up again, because I thought you were just showing me that there. One second. Mm, got it. All right. Um, yeah. So we have not only a beer named after the timing of the ceremony, but in Spanish, made with Mexican ingredients for yep. the book that has the climax take place in Mexico. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. That's dope. That's that giant. That lines right up with Drew McCaffrey's standard of quality up hmm. through this point. Yes, indeed. Although you're kind of so, screwing yourself because you keep raising the bar, and that's going to be difficult. I, I, I got to live with myself. Mm. We are holy crap! How many episodes in is this now? One forty-three, one forty-two. Oh, more than that, surely. This got to be like 145, right? Oh, 146. Holy cow. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, next up will be Ghost Story. Um, continuing on into Dresden. Uh, as always, if you want to support the show, check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Out Loud. Or on Coffee. 
uh, ko-fi.com slash inkingoutloud. You know, those those donations are deeply appreciated. That's what helps us keep this show going. That's right. I normally mention that in the intro. I totally forgot today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it happens. Um, but, uh, but, yeah. You know, this is... It's 146 freaking episodes. We are. Well, just just for the standard that releases. Yeah, it doesn't count the bonus episodes. It doesn't count the Patreon episodes. Man, like we we got to be closing in on 200 total. Yeah, we should now probably I'm thinking about it. quantify it and, and find oh, out which okay. one will be the 200th session to sit down and record. Yeah. Especially yeah. considering you could consider the couple episodes that we lost too, we'll have to factor those into the equation. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we <laughs> we had two episodes recorded that uh, we lost the audio for one reason or another. Mm. Uh, one of them was much more painful than the other. <laughs> yeah, but the, one, uh, the other one was still pretty painful for the the, the final draft, though. But yeah, the uh, yeah, it was yeah. But uh, anyway, Water Sleeves Part Two is oh, rest in peace. As always, anyway, yeah. I've been your host, Drew McCaffrey. And with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. What's up? I hope I did everybody proud. I hope everybody's, you know, uh, coming out of this <laughs> as friends. And that we all love each other. And that we all appreciate one another. Absolutely. And we look forward to more conversations in the future. Thank you. <laughs> yes, indeed. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.